people. These are pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. And then the category of prophecies, uh, I read somewhere this week that Jesus fulfilled about 350 prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. Uh, A few of those, uh, he'll be from the tribe of Judah. He will receive, occupy the uh, David's throne be spat upon and beaten, be silent in the face of accusations, would spend a season, a period of time in Egypt, and ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And, of course, there are many, many more. And then types and shadows in that category, things like uh, Jesus is compared with Jonah, in John 3:14, that compares Jesus with the bronze serpent. John 6 compares Jesus with the manna. Romans 5 compares Jesus with Adam. And there are, there are, these are all called uh, types or shadows. Now, another issue I want to mention uh, briefly is how the New Testament interprets and applies Old Testament passages. And maybe what I'm getting ready to say is a confession about myself. Um, I don't know that it's a confession, but I'm just saying. Uh, My approach to Scripture would generally be um, grammatical and historical. Like what is the grammar of the text? What did the writer say? And what did God intend to say? What did he say? What do the words say? What do they mean? What did they mean to the people who heard them or spoke them? And what was the historical context? That would be my approach. And uh, sometimes Jesus Uh, or a New Testament writer uses an Old Testament passage in a way that uh, I would not, I I wouldn't know that that's what that passage in the Old Testament meant, except that they say so. Or I wouldn't know that it applied to this, except they say it does. And uh, that's fine. It's fine. It's just interesting to me that... uh, that this is what happens. And one example of that is uh, Peter's sermon after Pentecost in which he explained why people heard what was said in their own language, and he quotes Joel 2 uh, and says that that's what that verse, those verses there are talking about, that this is what's going to happen. I'm not sure how he saw that, but uh, that's that was his understanding. So the four um, areas of prophecy, you have notes on your uh, bulletin. Uh, they are mothers. Uh, Jesus' mother will be an unmarried virgin. Jesus will provide redemption. Jesus will minister. Uh, I'm going to say justice and righteousness to the poor and needy. 
and Jesus will come for both Jews and Gentiles. And obviously, I have um, I have selected four categories here uh, that I wanted to talk about and focus on. There are many, many others we could look at. So Jesus. Jesus' mother will be an unmarried virgin. Uh, so in Matthew 1, uh, these verses are on the board, some of them. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this prophecy is spoken by Isaiah to King Ahaz in Isaiah 7. And he spoke this 700 years prior to Christ's birth. And uh, the, the historical situation was very fascinating to me. Probably most of you know what it was. Um, the historical situation in Isaiah is that two foreign kings were threatening to invade Jerusalem, and the heart of King Ahaz, this is what the text says, the heart of King Ahaz and the heart of his people, quote, were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. So what does that mean? It means they were scared. So the Lord told Isaiah to take his young son with him and meet with King Ahaz at the mouth of the aqueduct at a certain spot. There's more details about the spot. But meet him there and tell King Ahaz, take heed. And be quiet, do not fear, or be faint-hearted, for or because of these two stubs of smoking firebrands. I hope you appreciate that figure of speech. Don't be afraid of these two stubs of smoking firebrands. That's like saying, don't be afraid of these Nothings. Thus says the Lord God, it or they shall not stand. 
If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. So God said to Isaiah, say to King Ahaz, you don't have to worry about these two kings that want to invade. They, they are not going to stand. They are not going to be a problem. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So in other words, the Lord told King Ahaz to ask the Lord for a sign that these two foreign kings will not invade and defeat Jerusalem. Ask any sign you want to. It can be anything you want to ask. It can be about the heavens, the earth, anywhere, anything. It doesn't matter what you ask. I will, I will make it be. Just ask anything. Ask any sign you want to, and I will fulfill it. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And then Isaiah said, these things are interesting. How, why could he not ask when God had told him to? And why did Isaiah, how did Isaiah know how to respond to him? And Isaiah said, immediately said, hear now. O house of David, in other words, not only King Ahaz, but the whole, all of Israel, Judah. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what, what Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz is that uh, the virgin or unmarried woman, is the meaning there, will conceive and have a child. And before that child reaches more maturity, the two kings that King Ahaz fears will be defeated by the Assyrians and they will be they won't be any issue at all. So Isaiah's meaning seems to be that a woman who is not married when Isaiah is saying this will be married and will have a child and before that child gets old enough to know uh, right from wrong, I don't know how old that is, two, three years old maybe, um, the two kings will be defeated by Assyria. And Matthew says that this is a prophecy of Jesus' birth. So I would like to uh, pause here and uh, offer... Uh, something for us to consider how this story might apply to us. Uh, so God promised Ahaz that the two kings he feared would not defeat him, 
and King Ahaz's refusal to ask God for his sign that God would indeed defeat the foreign invaders when God has specifically told him to ask for his sign, I think we would all agree that that was disobedience and lack of faith on King Ahaz's part. And uh, this is a reminder, I think, that our own lack of faith hinders God's work in our lives. And I don't know how many times you have um, been talking with somebody and uh, you realize, well, what needs to happen here, I need to pray for them. I've, I've had this happen many times. And then, then I have this thought, what if I pray for them specifically for something and, it, and God doesn't answer my prayer? How's that going to work out? Do you ever think things like that? Something that you are very sure that you're supposed to do but you're scared to do it because, well, it might make you look stupid. Or what if it uh, doesn't happen and then then I'll, I'll lose whatever faith I have in God and they will too, and then what? And and we, we can live so cautiously and carefully and faithlessly that we don't give God a chance to work. It's like we're protecting our faith from God. And I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody. It, it, this is real for people. And, uh, but this, yeah, I just thought of that in relation to King Ahaz. Uh, his feigned humility was really the result of disobedience, and he's, he's going to do it his way. And uh, he was rebuked for that. The next uh, area I have is Jesus will provide redemption. I think we all know there are many, many references in the Old Testament to the redemption of Christ. Uh, Even the furnishings in the tabernacle are connected to Christ, speak of him in some way. Um, So a few references to Christ in the Old Testament uh, would be like Genesis 3:15 and 21, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And then in Genesis 4. Um, God looked on uh, Abel's offering with favor and on Cain's with disfavor. Uh, and somehow the, uh, the offering was not the right kind uh, because Abel brought the first fruit of his flock. And God was, uh, that was what God wanted. And then Exodus 
12, the killing of a Passover lamb, blood, the blood that was put over the door and on each side, uh, foreshadowed the death of Christ for our sins. And there, there are so many uh, statements in the Old Testament and examples, things that speak of Christ. Uh, but the main thing I want to look at here this morning in relation to redemption is Isaiah 53. Um, it's one of the most descriptive prophecies of how Christ will redeem his people or what he will do for them. Um, maybe I should just read a little bit of here. Um, Isaiah 53, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were of our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its ears is silent. So he opened not his mouth and so on. So, so he, he has borne our griefs. Uh, so another word for griefs is sicknesses, carried our sorrows, our pains. He was pierced through, wounded, pierced through, bruised, crushed, uh, I think there's a scripture that says that he was uh, disfigured by the treatment he received in his trial uh, where he was hardly recognizable. And Jesus suffered, uh, I'll say it this way, Jesus suffered on the cross what our sins deserve. And he experienced and bore to the cross uh, our human afflictions, sicknesses. In other words, everything uh, that was ruined by the fall, every, everything that is wrong with us, Jesus suffered for and bore to the cross. So Christ bore to the cross every sin ever committed, 
He suffered and shed his blood unto death so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be healed and redeemed. So there are many verses in the New Testament that uh, fulfill these verses in Isaiah 53. I'll just read it for you. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Matthew 27, Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. And Luke 18, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Matthew 8, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And I, I chose that reference in Matthew because uh, Christ's healing ministry is connected there to um, the statements there in Isaiah 53. Hebrews 9, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. First uh, Peter 2, who himself, that is Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to his sins, might live for or unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. In Luke 23, now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by Jesus. Then he questioned Jesus with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Acts 8, and he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, this is the uh, eunuch, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Say this, of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So again, I want to make comment or application about 
this uh, matter of Jesus being our Redeemer. Um, so maybe this is my hobby horse, getting more so in my older age. So in general, I'll say in general, study Bibles and commentaries. I I, was, I have... Um, I have a uh, John MacArthur study Bible, and it is very thick, and it has many, many footnotes, and they are very helpful. But they also uh, look at these kind of verses in a particular way, um, which I don't agree with. Um, so here, here's what I want to say about it. So in general, study Bibles and commentaries in most modern sermons interpret Isaiah 53 in statements in the Bible about Christ's suffering on the cross as if God did something, and I know this will take quite a bit of conversation to clarify everything. They look at it as if God did something to Christ on the cross apart from us and outside of us, that if we only believe all our sins will be transferred to Christ and all Christ's righteousness will be transferred to us, to our account in heaven, not necessarily anything inside of us happening, and we will go to heaven when we die. This is a common, simplified version of how these things are talked about. Uh, what, I, what I want to say uh, is that Jesus bore to the cross, what I said. Jesus bore to the cross and died for everything that is wrong with us. And this includes everything that is a result of the fall, our sins, not only the fall, but our fall. Our sins, sicknesses, human frailty, and everything about ourselves that we are ashamed of. Um, and now it comes to me, I want to include there everything that bothers us at communion time. That Jesus did bear to the cross, and he can, he can assist us in it. Things we are ashamed of. There are ways to deal with these things because Jesus bore them to the cross. And furthermore, Jesus is risen from the dead and he is alive today and he is God with us, Emmanuel, present, speaking and working to redeem everything ruined by the fall. This is who the Bible claims Jesus is and who he is for us. Uh, working in us to redeem us and this is a lifetime process of course uh, the third area uh, Jesus will minister to the poor and needy and I think uh, this one this third area and the next one uh, I don't think I have I don't think I thought much about these matters till the last 10, 20 years. 
This idea that Jesus will minister justice and righteousness to the poor and needy. Isaiah 61 reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to redeem, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then in Luke 4, so he came to Nazareth, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb, proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except, except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the bow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Uh, so going back to Isaiah 61, it mentions uh, the Trinity there. I want to say that. Uh, it speaks of the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me. The Lord God has anointed me. So the Lord God had anointed Jesus to perform a mission, and the mission is to proclaim, in these verses, the mission is to proclaim the good news to the poor, to heal or bind up the broken heart. 
and uh, I would like to uh, ponder a little bit here what Christ's gospel to the poor and the brokenhearted and captives and blind and oppressed was. What was that good news? What did the good news offer them? So it's obvious in these verses that the Messiah's mission includes ministering to the needs of the poor and disadvantaged, the spiritually and emotionally distraught. And in Luke 4:21, Jesus says he fulfills this Old Testament prophecy of the promised Messiah who would proclaim good news to these poor and needy people. And in the Old Testament, the poor were those who had no inheritance, who were financially impoverished and of low social status, or who were downtrodden, oppressed, disadvantaged, destitute. The poor were helpless and dependent on, generally, people more powerful than they, and they, uh, the poor, that category uh, were in unfavorable circumstances and dependent on people who were in more favorable circumstances. The poor are also those who live in dependence on God. The Psalms especially use the concept of poverty uh, both literally and symbolically, to express reliance on God as a protector, sustainer, deliverer, savior of the poor. So these concepts of the poor continue in the New Testament as people living in poverty and the humble who live by faith in God are the poor in the New Testament. So in Jesus Christ's great Sermon on the Mount, the Lord begins with the Beatitudes, preaching, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And the poor in spirit are people who recognize their own, I'm moving away a little bit here from what you might consider physically poor, Uh, the poor in spirit are those who realize their desperate need for God, who turn to him and receive the richest blessings he graciously offers through faith in Jesus Christ. And for Jesus, all these people, um, no matter where they are in society or what their condition is, if they recognize that they are in need, poor and destitute and in need of God, the good news is for them. These are the people Jesus came to feed, forgive, heal, and liberate. And now I want to make a comment of uh, application about this. Um, I was thinking about this when I was uh, studying. Yes, yes. This is why uh, this is why a church ought to be a place where people can be 
honest about the state of their soul or their their needs. Um, the reality is we we are all somewhat poor or are actually uh, asked to be poor in spirit, to be in a state of uh, humility and in need of God's work and presence. And so I believe God's intention uh, for his church, he, he expects his church to be composed of people who recognize that they are poor in spirit, are destitute apart from Jesus Christ. And uh, I think uh, for a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians, we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we can appear uh, strong and capable and having it all together and have no need of anything or anybody. We, we don't like to be, we don't like to appear too human or um, too afflicted by uh, whatever. And uh, I think we know that isn't really true, and I'm not saying that we need to spend all our time complaining about our ailments, but there is a reality here to um, being poor in spirit and in need of the work of Christ, always. And I also believe that uh, God intends for his people to be with his people in their conditions, state. So for us to live together in this awareness and uh, to be as uh, transparent as we can, this is actually what uh, hopefully could happen uh, in a church service. Uh, or times like uh, council meeting, when we just honestly say how we are. Um, don't have to say everything that's true about us, but anyway, this is the Christ came for us. He came for each of us where we are in our journey, and we spend our whole life I realize this more uh, as I get older. We spend our whole life growing up. And um, and I, I haven't completely grown up, uh, but there is eternity. And, uh, so this, this is um, the call to be um, to be poor in spirit. And the, the, this is who Jesus came for. The last category I have is Jesus uh, will come for both Jews and Gentiles. And actually, the previous verses I read spoke of that, that uh, where those comments are made that uh, those people in the Old Testament did not uh, help. Elijah didn't, Elijah didn't heal someone. Uh, it was Naaman the Gentile. Uh, so, Isaiah 28, um, Jesus quotes Isaiah 28 and applies it 
to his rejection by the Jewish leaders, that that's what happened there in those verses that I read a little bit ago. Uh, the Jewish leaders were rejecting him because he was caring about about the Gentiles. So Jesus quotes Isaiah 28 and applies it to his rejection by the Jewish leaders and acceptance by Gentiles, and he applies it to his crucifixion and resurrection. So Isaiah 28:16 reads, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will knock, and the King, New King James says, will not act hastily. In this statement, whoever believes will not act hastily means literally will not be put to shame. So in Matthew 21, while disputing with the chief priests and elders about the source of his authority, Jesus told them a parable about a landowner who planted a vineyard and went away to a far country and sent his own son to receive the fruit of the vineyard. And it ended up that they killed his son. And Jesus then quoted Isaiah 28:16 as a judgment of the priests and elders and Jesus told them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And when the chief priests and elders heard this, they knew he was talking about their rejection of him. Beginning in Luke 4.25, Jesus says he has brought the good news to non-Jews. He mentions Elijah being sent to the widow in Sidon and Elijah bypassing the many lepers in Israel, but healing Naaman. And verse 28 says, which I've read, that when those in the synagogue heard this, heard Jesus say his good news is for the Gentiles that were filled with wrath. And this, this is a pattern in the epistles, too. Whenever Paul uh, talked about the gospel being for the Gentiles, that they could belong to God's family of faith without being Jews, being circumcised, there was a reaction from the Jews. So the most obvious good news or gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed and lived is that it is not only for Jews but for Gentiles too, that Christ came and died and rose again for every single person who ever lived. And, and the way for a person to uh, enjoy the benefits of the good news is to trust in Jesus and follow him. And this is the message that Jesus had, and it's for Jews and Gentiles. And I think it's possible that there are uh, some Jews here this morning. But uh, most of us are Gentiles. And um, this, this is, um, we don't think about this, I'm sure, not very much, but but uh, the gospel is for all, and we benefit from the fact that it is for Jews 
and Gentiles. So I'm out of time here. Um, I've already made several applications. Just, I want to say the Old Testament has many references to the promised Messiah. Some of them are obvious, some of them not so much. Uh, but they they are reassuring, and I think the the number the number of prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ is astounding, and I don't know mathematically what the possibility is that this could be true of anybody, but it's really uh, it's really astounding. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and you and I are one of these. Sinners. He offers himself to us today. He is the promised Messiah who came as a baby, lived and taught, bore our sins and ailments to the cross, shed his blood, and died for our forgiveness of sins and for the healing of all that is wrong with us. And, uh, not everything that is wrong with us will be healed in this life, but it will be healed. And this is who Jesus is and who it was promised that he would be and who he was. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that, that for your word and the prophecies uh, of your son, the, the many, many prophecies that were fulfilled and the many truths that we sometimes don't think about, uh, don't understand, they don't mean much to us. And I pray that you would bless each of us with your work in our lives because of Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again for us on our behalf. Uh, bless each of us, Lord, and speak to us and lead us and redeem us. And thank you. Amen.